There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Well, let's take the Word of God, shall we? And go in the New Testament to the little book of Titus. If you find First and Second Timothy in your New Testament and then come to the end of it, you'll find this little three-chapter book, just a couple pages long, known as the epistle or the letter of Paul to Titus. In the Bible study hour, we gave a little introduction from the opening verses, but I want to concentrate on something. It is given to us in verse 4 and 5 and then developed all through the rest of this chapter. And I want to warn you, when I finish preaching, I'm going to ask every person in this room to respond today. And if you say, well, I'm not doing that, then you've already responded. And if you say, well, I'm not sure about that preacher, just, just listen with your heart. Because when I finish preaching, what I'm going to speak on this morning is not something you can be neutral on. I'm sorry. You just, you can't say, well, I, I'll think on that. No, you have to make a choice on it. Because when you come to Titus chapter number 1, it's not about Titus. And it's not about Paul, and it's not about uh, just a congregation of believers. It is all about Christ. Can I ask you a question? What is the greatest need of this community? You know, this is a beautiful community. A beautiful place God has allowed you to live a beautiful part of the country. I travel all the time. We live in the mountains of West Virginia. Anybody here from West Virginia? I'm just curious. Any fellow mountaineers? God bless you. There's some real Christians among us. That's good. <laughs> How many of you have ever been to West Virginia? Would you raise your hand? How many of you know it's a state? Would you raise your hand, please? That's good. And that's home for me. And I, I can travel lots of places and beautiful places and great people, but there is still no place like what? Home. No place like home. And God's given you a beautiful place to live. I don't know this area. I know some of it, but I, I really don't know the real uh, makeup of it and, you know, the political things and economic things and all of that. There are needs in every town, in every city, in every community, in every nation, in the world. There are needs. There are economic needs and there are racial needs and there are developmental needs and there are political needs and on and on and on the whole thing goes. May I ask you, what is the greatest need of this town? The greatest need of this town is this town needs Christ. I'm going to tell you, the greatest need of every town is Christ. <laughs> because only Christ, do you understand? Only Christ can make right what is really wrong. That's why he came the first time. For the record, that's why he's coming back again. Because this world desperately needs Christ. You want to know why it's such a mess? Watch the news. Look around. You don't even have to turn the news on anymore. I prefer not to anymore. But look around you and you think, my lands, the whole place has gone mad. I mean, be honest. How many of you thought the whole world's lost its mind in the last few years? 
And you think, why all this insanity? Why all this nonsense? I'm going to tell you why. Because this is what happens. This is what happens when people do not know Christ. And the only thing that cuts through all this tangled mess of sin is the powerful simplicity of Christ. And so we come to Titus chapter 1 and verse number 4 where Paul writes to Titus, Mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace. Time out. Time out just a second. How many of you would like grace, mercy, and peace? Would you raise your hand, please? All right, but look, look at the verse. It doesn't stop there. See, we, we wish people well. Have a good day. We say nice things to people, wishing them the best. I want you to know, this is not a wish. This is a reality. But this is not a reality that you get just by hoping to get it. Keep reading. Look at the end of verse number 4. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. The only one who can give you grace, mercy, and peace is God our Father, and the only way you can get the grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father is from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes people say, well, I, I believe Jesus was a good man. He was a good man, but he was more than a good man. He was the God man. He was God who took on flesh and became a man without ever ceasing to be God. He is not half man, half God. He is all man and all God and the perfection of both. In fact, look at the last phrase of verse number 3. You might want to mark it in your Bible, God our Savior. If I say to you, who is our Savior? We say, God is our Savior. Now mark the last phrase of verse number 4, Christ our Savior. Who is Christ? Christ is God. God in the flesh. God coming to man when man could never get to God on his own. And so... How do you get to grace, mercy, and peace? It's not something. It's someone, and his name is Jesus Christ. We come to verse 5 for this cause. Left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. I think this is fascinating. The, the island was the island of Crete. Anybody ever seen the island of Crete? Perhaps you've seen pictures of it. Beautiful, beautiful place. May I just tell you, no place is beautiful without Christ. <laughs> In fact, from my travels around the world, you know what I've discovered? That the most beautiful places on earth, at least to the natural eye, you find out pretty quickly are pretty ugly when sin is rampant there. And the most barren, desert-like places on the planet become beautiful when Jesus is there. So the island where, where Titus is, the island where that church was, was this beautiful place of Crete. Can I tell you what Crete needed? Crete needed Christ. In fact, I've marked in my Bible the last verse number 5, in every city. Every city needs Christ. Every place needs Christ. Crete needed Christ. Columbus needs Christ. Uh, America needs Christ. The world needs Christ. You need Christ. I need Christ. Everybody needs to know Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the whole point. And so Paul leaves Titus there because Crete needs Christ. He says, I want you to appoint elders. That's pastors. For the record, may I say, I have the greatest admiration for your pastor. I know a lot of preachers. I know a lot of pastors. I'm with them, hundreds of them. But I have great admiration, not just for him as a pastor, but as a Christian. I really believe this man knows God and loves the Lord. I prayed for him. 
the great trials that he and his family have gone through and, and the blessings and, and the good things God has done. I rejoice with you and I thank God. You should never take for granted that God has given you a faithful shepherd in this church. Look, evangelists blow through town, preach a handful of sermons. They come and go. But praise God for faithful pastors who come and stay and feed and lead the flock week after week after week. My dad is pastor of the same church in West Virginia for the last 33, almost 34 years. I'm going to tell you something. It takes something for a pastor to stay. And so Titus says, I'm going to try to appoint pastors so that every city will have a church and every church will have a pastor. Keep reading. Verse 6, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop, a pastor must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. For the record, I believe this man's not perfect, but I believe that's the kind of elder, bishop, and pastor God has given you in this congregation. Thank God for that and pray for him. And why does he hold fast the faithful word? Look at verse 9. That he may be able, by sound doctrine, remember that expression, we'll come back to it tonight, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Four. <laughs> Look at the rest of the chapter because it, would you like to see a little snapshot of the world we're living in? It's amazing. But this is not a lens on Crete. This is a mirror on us. Look at the verse. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. That word unruly means rebellious, insubordinate. Have you ever seen so much rebellion in your life? I mean, in our own beloved nation, they're riding in the streets and, and looting and, and, and doing things in open daylight that used to be done in the darkness. And you think, where did all this rebellion come from? I'll tell you, when you don't have Christ, this is what it looks like. Unruly, vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. He said, there's a whole lot of talk. By the way, there's a whole lot of religious talk. That's what the circumcision was. A few Lord's days ago, I was in a hotel room getting ready early one morning. and I said to you this earlier, but preachers need preaching too. And I thought, I'm going to find me a Bible preacher that I can listen to while I'm getting ready this morning. And I turned the television on and I found a man who was a Bible preacher. And he preached Christ and he preached the Word and I was blessed by it. I really was. I was getting ready and I was pleased to find somebody that preached the Bible. How many of you know it's good when people preach the Bible? That's what he did. He just preached the Bible. I'm still getting ready and he went off and another preacher came on. <clears throat> and this preacher did not preach the Bible. He was quite an orator. He was an amazing speaker. Held a massive audience spellbound with his oratorical skills and his rhetoric. It was fascinating. He told funny jokes and stories and moved you to emotion and there was inspiration in it and you felt good about yourself. And about 10 minutes into his speech, I thought to myself, something is missing in this man's preaching. Something is missing. What is missing? And it hit me. There was no Christ in his sermon. There's no Christ. May I just tell you, if there's no Christ in the preaching, just pack up and go home. If there's no Christ in a church, I don't care how beautiful it is or how good it makes you feel and what a tingle up your spine you receive. If there is no Christ, there is no help. And the problem in Crete was there was no Christ. Keep reading. Verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses. Look at that, ruining families. Doesn't that sound like our land? 
teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Greedy, trying to get money and get gain and get something out of you. That's our world. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Boy, that sounds like a nice place to live, doesn't it? Did you know, did you know that, that on the island of Crete, their god was Zeus? That's who, that was the prominent deity that they worshipped. And you study a little bit about Zeus, and you find out that he was known for deceit and sexual immorality. Let me ask you a question. If you worship someone that's a liar and a sexual deviant, what do you think that produces? More of the same. So imagine what Crete was like. I don't care where it was located, how beautiful it was. Here's a people who are full of deceit because they believe lies and everything reproduces after its own kind. Here are people who are living in open immorality and wickedness because they've elevated that to the place of deity and worship. This is the world they are living in. Oh, Lord, help us. Crete needed Christ. Look at verse 13. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. That they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. He said, don't you understand? Stories isn't going to fix this. Political speeches isn't going to fix this. Somebody just talking about good things isn't going to fix this. What do people need? I've marked in my Bible the beginning of verse 13, the word true, and the end of verse 14, the word truth. The only thing that straightens out the lie is the truth. I was listening, Pastor, coming in last night. They're having a discussion on the radio about this, this artificial intelligence that has now just taken off and how it's, it's gone beyond what even the people who, who invented certain things related to it can even explain or, or control. And they said, we really believe this artificial intelligence now will be able to produce things that will deceive people and, uh, and, and give an idea of certain things that seem very real that are not. Can I tell you what that is? That is fruit of living in a world that has believed a bunch of lies. See, when you reject light, you get darkness. And when you say no to truth, you start believing lies. And for the record, those lies never get better. It always gets worse. In a life, in a family, in a church, in a community, in a nation, in a world, the lies never get better on their own. I'm going to tell you what this world desperately needs. It needs the truth that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. It needs to come face to face with the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one thing that sanctifies, and that is the truth of the Word of God. Only one thing can make this right, and that is the God of right. Look at the end of the chapter. Verse 15, into the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Would you answer an honest question to me? Don't you think we're living in a world right now where people's minds are dirty? The conscience has been defiled. There's filthiness everywhere. Even in churches. Filthiness. And a holy God. No, no, a thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit, which was and is and is to come. He always has been holy. He is holy, and He always will be holy. Our thrice holy, all holy God, 
looks at this world and what does he see? A bunch of dirt. Look at verse number 16. They profess that they know God. That's hard to read. You know you can profess and not possess. We know God. Oh, yes, we know God. I ask people every week, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Do you know Jesus? Oh, yes, I know Jesus. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable and disobedient and under every good work. What's that last word, church? I didn't hear you. What is it? Circle that word in your Bible. Do you know what that word was used for in Paul's day? It was used for counterfeit money. <laughs> if they found money, yesterday I stopped at a certain place to get fuel, and uh, I, I had cash for a change. My wife was good to me this week. Isn't that nice? And I paid in cash, and the young man took a, a pen, a certain kind of pen, and marked on that bill to see if it was the real deal or not. You know what I'm talking about, right? On that day... If counterfeit money was passed off and it was discovered, they called it something. It was the word that was used here. They said, it is what? Reprobate. Worthless. Did you know they used the same word in Paul's day, in Titus's day, on the island of Crete? For a man who was a coward in battle and deserted. He went AWOL. He's there one moment, he's gone the next. He deserts his company. He, he leaves the army. He, he runs for fear. They would call that coward something. You know what they would call that coward? They would call him what, church? Reprobate. Did, did you know that in Paul's day when the builders were building and they would build with stone, that if a certain stone was, was not fitting just exactly like it ought to fit. In other words, it didn't, it didn't mesh with the rest of the building and they couldn't chisel it down and get it where it would work. They would finally set that stone to the side and they would mark something on it. They would reject it. They, they would say, this is no good. Guess what word they would use for it? They would call it what? Reprobate. Did you know that in Paul's day, if a political candidate, now we're really getting on where we live, aren't we? was rejected and refused and disqualified from serving, and they set him aside. Do you know what they would call him? Guess. They called him reprobate. Do you know what it means to be reprobate? By the way, I'm going to tell you the worst reprobates are. See, we love to get in church and talk about all the reprobates out there. Don't we? Look, let the evangelist come to town and let him preach on all those wicked, godless people that never darken their church door. And we sit around and say, that's right, preacher. Give it to him. That's good preaching. You better look at that verse again because the worst reprobates are always religious reprobates. The most deceptive lie is the one that is nearest to the truth that dresses up and assembles in a church gathering and pretends to be right and professes to know God, but it is, it is counterfeit money. It, it's not the real deal. It has no value. It is worthless in light of eternity. It is cowardly. It has turned its back on the truth. It, it doesn't fit in the building that God is building. It has been rejected. It is reprobate. I don't know about you, this is pretty sobering to me. You know what this town needed? One thing. 
we make a list of all the things we think need to be straightened out. Let's boil it all down. Can we just cut to the bottom line this morning? I'm going to tell you what Crete needs. Crete needs Christ. Would you say that with me, please? Crete needs Christ. No, no, I want you to say it like you mean it. Ready? Here we go. Crete needs Christ. Tell the person next to you right now. Tell them. Ready? Crete. <clears throat> I've heard people in nursing homes do better. Let's try that again. Get your preaching finger out and point at that center next to you. Wives, this is your opportunity, all right? I want you to look at them and on the count of three, say it. One, two, three. Crete needs Christ. One more time. Say it to me. What? Crete Everybody needs Christ. So let's mark three words in our Bible, would you please? And by the way, what a contrast. What a contrast the last half of this chapter is to what we studied this morning. How many of you were in the Bible study hour this morning? Wasn't that nice? All those beautiful things. And now look at the ugliness of sin. This is the best sin can do. A contrast to the, the faith and the Father and the fellowship that you find in the church of the living God. Oh, my friends, do you know why? Because these people need Christ. Let's mark three words. Number one, in verse number five, I want you to circle the word Crete. And somewhere I want you to write down that Crete is a picture, just a snapshot, a summary, if you will, of the culture that we are living in. Our culture is in bad shape. It's in bad shape. My granddaddy was a World War II veteran. We live on his farm now. He was a coal miner, pastor, hard worker, farmer, a Navy man. He was at Pearl Harbor after the attack and helped with the cleanup. He was a, he was a godly man. He died in his late 80s on his way to his garden with his tomato steaks in his hand. Fell over in the yard and went to meet Jesus. I've thought a lot about him in recent days. I miss him. But I've thought a lot about the culture of his generation. There was a certain decency, integrity, honesty, a certain work ethic. Get that in your thinking. This is, this is a certain culture. Now, flip the page. And I want you to just glance at the culture we are living in. A culture where you can't get people to work and it's hard to get anybody to tell the truth. A culture where you hear people talk and you wonder, can I really believe what that person is saying? I mean, honestly, who do you trust? I mean, somebody, somebody tell me who's telling the truth. And if they tell the truth today, are they going to tell the truth tomorrow? This is the culture we are living in. But look, if you just try to fix the culture, you miss the point because the problem is not the culture. The problem is the culture needs Christ. The fruit is all of this junk that we're dealing with right now. The root problem is they do not know God. Turn one more page. And consider what the culture will be like if Jesus tarries his coming for our grandchildren. My wife was with me when I was here four years ago. And uh, two of our children, I think, at the time. And uh, the kids are all about grown now. Grant's uh, our youngest a senior in high school and getting ready to graduate. And our oldest daughter got married a year and a half ago. 
And I actually prayed Jesus would come before her wedding day, but God didn't answer my prayer. So she got married, and, and uh, she and her husband, <clears throat> who's a preacher, are serving the Lord on that mission field known as North Carolina. Have you ever heard of North Carolina? That's where they are. And I'm grateful to God. And we found out, we found out just a few weeks ago that we're going to be grandparents this year. And we're expecting to join your club, some of you, very soon. And we're excited about it. But I must tell you, in the last few weeks, I've been reflecting a great deal on that because I'm wondering, that beautiful little girl that God is going to give, what kind of world will she grow up in? And if you think, if you think for a minute that simply electing the right person to political office is going to straighten out all this mess you're in, you miss the point because our problem is not political. Our problem is spiritual, and only Jesus can fix that. Oh, friends, Crete needs Christ. Would you look at one verse? Just look at one verse because this one verse is really a good summary of the whole thing. Look at verse number 12, and I love this. There's a little humor in this because, remember, Paul is writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he has divine authority to say what he's going to say, but he quotes, he quotes a secular philosopher that the Cretans knew. He quotes a man who lived in Crete. Isn't it great? Isn't it great when truth pokes people right in the eye? And that's what Paul does. He takes one of their own philosophers and says, Look, so you won't think I'm picking on you, let me quote one of your own. And this was the glorious commercial this man gave for Crete. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. They sound like good neighbors, don't they? It's not what God said about them. It's not what Paul said about them. It's not what Titus said about them. He said, your own people now. By the way, aren't we living in a world right now where even secular people are starting to look at our culture crumbling all around us and suddenly it's dawning on even the most godless people around us. Something is wrong. We've got to find something to fix it. Listen to me. When you pull out the foundation, the building crumbles. There's no surprise in that. What described Crete? Three things. Look at verse number 12. First of all, they're all we liars. So they're liars. They didn't want the truth. They didn't want anybody else to have the truth. Mm, that's dangerous. When you start believing lies, friends, you're in trouble. By the way, someday everybody will acknowledge the truth. Everybody. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did it ever dawn on you someday you're going to see every president and dictator in history on their knees at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus and they will say he is Lord. The question is not will people someday realize the lies and accept the truth. The question is will they do it now or will they do it later when it is too late? Did you know that in the day that Paul was writing, even the name Crete had become associated with so much lies that it became a verb? They used it for people who were lying. They, they said that these people were like the people on the island of Crete. Can you imagine? Sin had become so pervasive and there was so little light there that they were known as a culture of liars. Look at verse 12 again. They not only were liars, they were evil beasts. And for the record, I have a dog. I like animals, all right? But an evil beast is something that devours, it consumes, it attacks, it's ferocious and fierce. And the irony is that they tell me on the Isle of Crete there were very few wild beasts. They had very few 
things that would, would attack in that way. And it's fascinating to me, but it's like Paul said, let me explain to you that though your island looks like a beautiful place to live and there are not a lot of animals there, the men have made up for it. Because they become beasts who live only by their own lust. What they can get, what they can consume. So look at the verse. They are liars. They are lustful, uh, living by their own appetites and devouring everything they possibly can. And then they're not only liars and lustful, they're lazy. The Bible says they're slow bellies. They're idle. They're, They're gluttonous. They want everybody to do for them, but they're not willing to do anything. Do you know what this is? I'm going to tell you the problem. You know what it is. Say it, please. Crete needs needs Christ. So go back, would you please, to verse number 4 and mark a second word. I want you to mark the name Christ. Now, we're going to look at his whole title in just a minute, but just mark Christ. On one hand, you've got Crete. That's a picture of our culture. And on the other hand, you have Christ. See, every lie stops at the truth. And every man must come to know the God-man for himself. Would you look me in the eye for just a moment, every person in this room? Would you look at me and hear me with your heart? Do you really know Christ? I'm not asking, do you know about him? I'm not asking, are you a church member? Are you a good guy? Do you work hard? Do you provide for your family? Have you been baptized? Are you trying? I'm asking this, do you really know Christ? Because I'm going to tell you, in the end of the thing, the only thing that really is going to matter is this. Do you know Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Do you truly love Christ? Look, this is not just their need. This is my need. Let me tell you about Scott Pauling. Let me tell you what I need today. I need Christ. I don't need another sermon to give. I don't need another place to travel to. I need Christ. And you need Christ. Every sinner needs Christ. Because only Christ can make right what is wrong in our lives. Only Christ. Look at the title. I love it. Every word of it. Y'all still believe every word of Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Me too. Look at every word. Look at verse the end of verse number 4. The Bible calls him the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Excuse me, kids, for using dirty words on Sunday, but look at the grammar of the verse, would you please? The is a definite article. He is not a. He is the. He is the one and only. What is the? It is the preeminence of Christ. He, he's not on the top of the list, friend. Excuse me. He's not one of many religions or the best of many ways. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's on a list all by himself. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the next word. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's his power. His rule. He rules the good and overrules the evil. He sits on the throne of the universe He holds the world in the palm of his hand. Someday all of creation is coming back to him. Look, please. He is not a man like I am. He is not a man like you are. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is deity. He is divinity. That's who Christ is. He is the Lord. And then look at the next word. He is the Lord Jesus. Thee is his preeminence and Lord is his power. Jesus is his passion. 
It's the name that Mary called him and Joseph called him. It was the name of his manhood. It was the name of his 33 and a half years on the earth. It was the name of his humanity and his humility. It was the tender name that means that he is our Savior. Has it ever dawned on you that God couples together Lord and Jesus? He puts them right together. Which one comes first? Lord comes first. Why? Because he is God Almighty. But he is God who became a man without ever ceasing to be God. He is not one or the other. He is both and God couples together his power and his passion all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who brought God to man because man could never get to God on his own. And every time I say the name Jesus, I love the name Jesus. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no name like the name of Jesus Christ. And I love his name more now than I did 41 years ago when I heard it for the first time and trusted Jesus as my Savior because I'm starting to understand more and more the difference that Jesus makes in the life of a sinner. Only Christ can change creed. Only Jesus can reach the sinner. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do this. You ever wonder why nobody ever curses in Buddha's name? No, I'm serious. Why is Jesus Christ the only name ever used as a slang term? When was the last time you heard somebody say Muhammad? How about Allah? How about Confucius? How about Joseph Smith? I'm going to tell you why he's the only name used as a curse word because he's the one name that hell trembles at and Satan hates. He is the only name that brings eternal life. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the next name. He is thee, that's his preeminence. He is Lord, that's his power. He is Jesus, that's his passion. He is Christ, this is his purity. Christ is the same name as Messiah, anointed one. He is the one sanctified and set apart. He is our high priest. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one who brings God to man and brings man to God. He is the only Savior. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then if that were not enough, I like this. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. <laughs> Look, he could be the Lord Jesus Christ and be off way yonder in the distance somewhere, but he's not. He's not a distant God. He's a near God. He is not just the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He is my Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the personal nature of Christ. He comes to indwell the heart of those who repent and believe the gospel. Look, please, you don't have to know him at afar and know about him. You can know him personally. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have the peace of God ruling in your soul. You can have hope of eternal life. How? When the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. And then one final word like the divine exclamation point. Mark it, please. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Here's his purpose. Why did he come to seek and to save that which was lost? Oh, I need a Savior. You know who you're listening to today? A dressed up sinner. That's it. That's who I am. A black hearted, hell deserving sinner. See, I know me better than you know me. And God knows me better than I know me. And don't look at me so pious. I'm preaching a whole room full of sinners right now too. We're all just sinners. Look, sinners need a Savior. 
If you weren't a sinner, you wouldn't have needed a Savior. But you need a Savior because you got a sin problem and you can't change the sin problem. You can't figure it out and you can't fix it. There is none that doeth good. There is none righteous. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And blessed be the holy high name of Jesus. That's why Christ came so that even Crete could be saved. Oh, Christ, change this wicked heart of mine. Maybe we should stop praying for God to straighten everybody else out and pray God will straighten us out. Some of us trying to fix Crete, we need to look to Christ ourselves. That's what we need to do. We're fussing, grumbling, and complaining about how bad the world is. I'm going to tell you what we need to do. We need to get our eyes back on Christ. Look, because I need Christ not just to deliver me from Crete. I need Christ to deliver me from me. And so do you. And so on one hand, we have Crete. And on the other hand, we have Christ. By the way, did you know that in Crete at this particular time, their gods, their deities were called saviors with a little S? They were their saviors. I'm going to just tell you, there are not many saviors. There is one savior with a capital S. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a third word I want you to mark. And it is sandwiched between the first two. In verse number 5, it says, for this, what's the next word, please? Cause. Would you circle that? There is a Crete, a culture that is corrupted by sin. There is a Christ who has come to save us from our sin. And notice where the church is. (laughs) This is our cause, people. Would you listen to me just a minute, all the members of this church? I want you to know, this town needs this church more than it ever has. I don't know how long this church has been here. How long has this church been here? 13 years. I want you to know, this town needed this church 13 years ago, but this town needs this church more today than it did 13 years ago. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Crete's getting worse all the time, and Christ is coming. You want to know what cause you ought to live for? Everybody needs purpose. Everybody needs a mission. Everybody needs a reason to get up in the morning. Everybody needs something to give their life to and someone to connect to that's bigger than themselves. I'm going to tell you what our great cause. Listen to the words of David. Is there not a cause? Oh, yes, there's a cause. What is our cause? Our cause is to connect Christ to Crete and Crete to Christ. God has placed us strategically between heaven and hell. That's where we live right now. You understand, you're living right now between heaven and hell. And what is our job? Our job is to know Christ and to make Him known. Look, please. Our job is to come to Christ and then to go to others and say, you need Christ just like I need Christ. And when God's people start fulfilling their calls and the church starts doing what God left us to do, the most amazing transformation happens and it doesn't just happen inside the four walls of a building. A whole culture gets affected by the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I came to say to you today, this is our great cause. You know what we need? In verse 6 down to verse number 9, we need pastors. How many of you think we need faithful pastors? Yes? No doubt about it. That's why I said to you earlier, you ought to pray for your pastor. And you ought to pray for those who are faithfully preaching the gospel. And you ought to encourage missionaries and those who are trying to get the work of the Lord done. Look, praise God for them and pray for them. But please don't miss this. 
This was not written just to help Titus. This was written to help all of those who knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we come to the end of verse number 5. Would you look at it? That thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. The two little things here I want to point out to you. The first is this expression, set in order. Did you know this was a medical term? I don't know if Paul learned it from Dr. Luke. I don't know. But it was an actual medical term that day. I talked to our sister back here who's got to have some surgery coming up, and that's no fun. We pray all will go perfectly well. But every now and then in the body, something's not working just right. It could be a knee or it could be a broken arm or it could be any number of things. And what do they have to do? They have to tend to that broken thing, and they have to set it in order. It's fascinating to me. There's some spiritual surgery going on today. Did you know that? We're in the great physician's doctor's office. That's where we're at. And you know what the Lord's doing? The Lord is identifying broken things in every one of us. And don't put on airs. We're all broken people. Any perfect ones among us? Just looking. Any perfect people? Mm -mm. We're all broken people. And only one person can set in order the things that are broken. Would you like to guess who it is? Create needs. And then this amazing little word, look at it please. He said, set in order the things that are, what's that word, church? Wanting. That doesn't mean you want something. It literally means something that's been left undone. Maybe it's my age now, I don't know. But I'm starting to think more about what I would like to do and finish before I leave this world. I'll be 47 this year. You know, age is relative to the young people I'm old, to the old people I'm young. You know, it's all relative. But at this juncture, for me, I'm starting to think more about the finish line than I did the starting blocks. And I'm starting to think, all right, I wonder how many years I have left. And what am I going to do? I can't do everything, but I'm going to do something. So what am I going to do? What, when I get to the end and I stand before God, what do I want to say I did not leave that undone. Do you know the same expression is used in the Old Testament? When Joshua finally led the people into the promised land, the Bible says he left nothing undone of all that God had commanded. Oh, Lord, let that be our testimony. Dear Lord, help me not to do what I want to do, not to do what somebody else expects me to do, not to do what everybody else is doing. Help me just do whatever it is you want me to do with my life. And this is what has captured me. What, church, have we left undone? That's why you have meetings like this, you see. Pardon me. What's broken that needs to be set if we're going to move forward for the Lord? Let's not start out there. Let's start right in here. Judgment must begin where? At the house of God. So let's start right here with God's people today. And let's say, all right, in this room, just the people in this room, what do we need to do with Christ? And what do we need to do for Christ if our Crete is going to come to know Him? When I come to meetings like this, look, look, I'm not interested, not interested in you remembering the preacher's name care less 
I am not under some delusion that you're going to remember even most of what I said. But I want this. I want everybody in this room to know Christ. And wait, wait. I want you to love him. And I want you to be so full of Christ that when we walk out those doors in a little bit, Crete can come to know Christ too. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.